What's up, everyone? It's Brian Horning here with the Security Squawk Podcast. Today, I have with me Randy Bryan down with Tech Rescue in Texas. And today, we have a special guest with us, Greg Edwards, the CEO and founder of Crypto Stopper. And today, we're going to get into some really good discussions about ransomware and what ransomware is and what you need to be worried about and really how you can use Greg's product to help protect your environment from things like ransomware. So before we jump into the content today, remember Randy, Andre, who's not with us today, and I don't get paid for this. We do this out of the goodness of our heart to try to spread awareness around cybersecurity and things like ransomware. Uh, the only thing that we ask is if you're listening to this podcast and you're educated or your perspective was changed or we entertained you in any way, that you give us five stars on your favorite podcast platform and you share us out to your friends and family and spread the word organically about what we're doing here. It helps our show tremendously and it helps us want to put out content like this and bring guys like Greg on to educate you more about these things. So, uh, on, or, uh, Randy, uh, Andre, uh, how are you, sir? I'm pretty good. Uh, feel bad for Andre not feeling good today. Hopefully he's uh, tuning in, maybe just laying there, tuning in with his eyes closed, listening to it. But uh, I'm excited right. today. I'm excited about our guest today and our discussion. Yep, I am too. So, uh, Greg, welcome to our show. Thank you uh, for coming and talking with our audience about ransomware uh, and your product, which is called Crypto Stopper. Uh, where in the world are you? Uh, so I am in the middle of Iowa. So I'm just north of Iowa City, Iowa. I live on a 60-acre farm, and I've been here um, during the started. Once the lockdowns started, I uh, moved and started working from home, and I have actually been loving it and still working from home. Nice, nice. Iowa. So there's actually a I, lot of good so things. Just north of Sorry about that. That was my fault. Uh, that was your fault. I was like, I'm hearing a lot of different things. <laughs> yeah, I was getting some echo. I thought it might have been on my end. We probably need some additional techs on here to help <laughs> us out. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of good things that, from a tech space happening in Iowa, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we really have um, an entrepreneurial community now in Iowa that didn't exist even five years ago, that are helping entrepreneurs. I've been an entrepreneur since 1998, back when they're, they're, being an entrepreneur wasn't really a thing, or it was, it just wasn't as, as hyped as it is today. Uh, but we really have a great entrepreneurial community and great tech community here in Iowa. Yeah, I was really, uh, I was doing some research and I was working on some things and I noticed a lot of companies that I was encountering were in Iowa and I'm like, <laughs> what's going on? I'm like, I was actually like awesome because I actually had a client for a long time who was born and raised in Iowa uh, and he moved to New Jersey. And so I kind of knew Iowa very well. Um, man, I can't remember the name of the sandwich. It's chopped meat. What is it called? Uh, <laughs> made right. The made right. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so they actually had made rights flown in so we could try it. It's basically, you know, we have the cheesesteak here in Philadelphia. And yep. he, he was like, this is our cheesesteak. Yeah, uh, tacos in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Barbecue. 
So yeah, so it was the made right. So yeah, so it was it was actually very good. He made me put ketchup and mustard on it because I think that's the way you guys that's, have it. Right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, so it was good. Um, so welcome, sir. I, I appreciate you joining Randy and I today to kind of talk about ransomware and everything that's going on today with that. Um, so the first thing I want to kind of get into with you is something that we touch on a little bit here uh, on the podcast, and that is uh, how security should be done properly. And we talked about it a little bit in the green room and we and we discussed this uh, layered approach to security. And by no means are you touting that your product is the end-all be-all when it comes to ransomware protection. So educate our audience from your perspective on how you see the security landscape and what layered security actually means from your perspective. Yeah, well, I think as as IT guys, we previously had had been building these bigger and bigger walls to keep the attackers out and thinking that really firewall and antivirus is what we needed, right? And for a good 20 years, starting back with the the I love you bug um, back in the early 2000s was the first um, <clears throat> first really big malware event that hit. And that's when cybersecurity, in, in my opinion, really, I mean, cybersecurity started before that, but kind of when it started for the masses. And it really involved antivirus and firewall. And that was it for a long time. Today, that's not enough anymore. And so... When I talk about a fully layered defense and depth security posture, um, that includes not only, I mean, antivirus and firewall are still part of that, but then an EDR solution, which is endpoint detection and response so that you're collecting all of the information that's happening on the entire network. Um, if, the, if the infrastructure is large enough, a SIM to go with that. Um, and then patch management, user education, um, all of the, the NIST framework to be able to pull the right components together so that you can go through that full cybersecurity lifestyle, life, life cycle and lifestyle. Let's make it a lifestyle. I agree 100% that it becomes a lifestyle. And I think, I, I, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm a pretty... I'm a pretty uh, outspoken guy, especially when it comes to stuff that I'm passionate about. And this is absolutely something that I'm passionate about. And one of the things, and we, I literally just got off a mastermind call with a group that I belong to. And one of the things we talked about on that was the uh, thought or, and I don't know if you share this perspective and you might not be as uh, rigid as I am on this, but I, a lot of MSPs out there today and I like to think that my company is a, a little bit ahead of the pack on this, but a lot of the things that I'm seeing other MSPs and my competitors doing uh, is they're doing one thing. Like they might buy an, an endpoint protection and maybe something like a crypto stopper. And they're considering that, or they're saying that they're doing cybersecurity. And you mentioned doing the full NIST framework, right? So, um, you know, if you're an MSP and you're listening to this, that's where you need to get to at a maturity level with your MSPs is having somebody or yourself do a self audit against the MS, the, the, the NIST framework. 
um, and not just going out there and buying tools and throwing this tool and that tool in. Um, the approach should be you're trying to satisfy the framework, not just collect a bunch of tools and then call that cybersecurity. And that's what I see a lot of. I see a lot of MSPs grabbing onto a tool or two or three and then saying, we're now doing cybersecurity or we're calling us a cybersecurity firm. So do you have any opinion on that? I, I From my standpoint, I completely agree. I mean, I think I, we have some great tools out there, but the tools without the proper implementation, the right training, and the right staff managing and monitoring it are worthless. So, I mean, I think having, you know, starting with the right tools, but but there are so many good tools out there. So get the right set of tools, but then make sure you're following that framework and make sure that that the techs that are running it are experts in that set of tools and that they are following the framework. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And then, you know, if you're an MSP friend listening to this and you don't have those techs or you don't have that bench strength, then you can outsource that to you know another company who can do that. There's there's all these things that are available to you, um, you know. So you got to just figure out what the right stack is for where you are in your business today. Um, but don't just go out and buy tools and ask questions to vendors. Go get the framework, understand what the framework is, and then build your tools around that. That's what I'd recommend. Yeah. And I would say the other thing is, it's not just about the tools either. I mean, the yeah. configuration side of it is so important and making sure that the that there aren't mistakes being made there because you can have all the right tools in the world, but if the configuration is wrong, you're, you still have problems. Yeah. And it, that's, we were a, a CompTIA security uh, plus Trustmark certified company. So we've been audited against the NIST framework and we've achieve that level of certification with them. And what that, just to give people an awareness around that, that framework will make you put policies and procedures in place that will make you check the things that, that Greg just mentioned, right? When there's misconfigurations in place, you should have policies and procedures to detect these things and find these things and, and make sure that you're doing everything the right way. So. Um, that's why I'm a big proponent of everybody getting on board, all businesses, not just MSPs, getting on board with the NIST framework. It's this whole crazy thing with the government putting out these memos and putting out these statements of how to do cybersecurity when they already have the NIST framework, right? The yeah. White House came out with a memo last week and they gave you like five points of everything that you should do to stop ransomware, which missed the mark in my opinion because they didn't even talk about user awareness training. And if you're trying to stop ransomware without user awareness training, good luck. Um, but, you know, they have the NIST framework. So why aren't we pushing businesses to that? So um, comment on that. Go ahead, sir. So the NIST framework is the National Institute of Science. Standard. Science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, and it's a it's a cybersecurity framework. So you can search NIST cybersecurity framework. And I would basically challenge if there's any business owners that are watching this that that are not MSPs, um, make sure that you are evaluating your current MSP, your IT provider, um, by that standard. Don't just go by what they say, but make sure that they're also following through on that because 
this is this is a framework that's been researched. It's constantly evaluated and it works. And like you said, it brings in things that people don't think about sometimes like user training and user user awareness and a lot of other things like like that. So would highly encourage business owners to to become aware of it and make sure that that your technology people are following it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would say to the, the MSPs and the business owners out there, don't be overwhelmed when you or you probably will be overwhelmed when you first look at it, but you have to start somewhere and going through the I don't even remember how many how many items are there. There's well, I mean, it's a lot, but it's 53 to do the baseline. 53. Right? There you go. And then. <laughs> And then 171 if you want to go deeper, right? So, but at a minimum, yeah. you're looking at 53 controls that you want to satisfy just to just to you know get that minimum baseline of cybersecurity controls in place. So, yep, uh, and, and that can be overwhelming. So don't let that stop you, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, pick out the biggest items and start there. And uh, you know, we started on this years ago, so. It's not something that you're going to implement overnight. And there are resources where you can bring in outside help to speed that up. But um, yeah, get started. Yeah, the advice I'm giving people on my my own my company's YouTube channel is, you know, I talk about it a lot, but it's we we typically see it taking anywhere from one more to two years for somebody to if they're starting from ground zero to fully implement something like the NIST framework. So, you know, like you said, there's no better day than tomorrow to start if you haven't done anything yet. So, yep. so Greg, I want to jump into uh, a couple of things that are important because if you're not an MSP and you're watching this or listening to this, um, it's important for us to point out that we're going to talk about Greg's product a little bit and how it helps. But Greg has a product where he's gone to market and it's known as channel only. Um, and I'm quickly just going to describe what that is. Uh, and channel only means that you can only get Greg's product through a company like mine or Randy's or another IT provider or managed service provider that has decided to partner with Greg. Um, you can't go and buy this from Greg's website direct as a business owner or, or person. So you would have to get this through a, an IT provider. Now, do you sell to like an IT department or would they have to partner up with like a managed service provider to get your, your. Yeah. So we've gone fully channel where we don't sell direct anymore. And the reason for that um, is just making sure that the, the tool is getting properly used and implemented yeah. um, and not. Yeah. And that's a big key that I think a lot of people wonder, like, why does a company go channel only? Like, why can't we sell through, and I'll give you Datto, right? Datto decided a long time ago we're going channel only, and from all from you know from what I can tell, and most people, it was the right call, right? And that was their thing because we don't want to have to keep training people over and over and over to use our solution because it requires some training, um, and you know there's a cost to your company when when you have to do that for every single person that comes along and signs up when you. Do it through the channel. You train us once, and now we know how to do it for however many companies we have, which could be you know tens, hundreds, you know whatever. And then now we're you know taking care of that piece of it for you, and you can focus on 
making a better product, right? At the end of the day. So Yep. Yep. Exactly. So your product helps stop ransomware. And I think a lot of people are very interested to know how you stop ransomware. So first, I always like to kind of break things down at a at a lower level for people who might not be in our business. What is ransomware from your perspective and kind of give us some education on that? Yeah, I mean, so fundamentally what ransomware does is it locks the files, whether that be on a, on a PC or on an entire network and then holds them for ransom. I mean, fundamentally, that's all it is. It's just taking control of those files uh, and holding them for ransom. And the way that it does that is utilizing encryption. So it encrypts all of those files and then you can't access them until you enter a password, a decryption key to unlock them. Um, that's fundamentally what ransomware is. Now it's, it's evolving to some degree now where not only are they encrypting those local files, but they're also exfiltrating. So they're stealing them off of your network and then ransoming companies uh, for that they won't release that on the dark web. And it, so that's the that's been happening over the last about two and a half years, but we've really seen in the last six months that that's, that's been increasing. Oh yeah. So, you know, we haven't seen this level of activity in mainstream media around these subjects. This is unprecedented what we're dealing with, right? Between Colonial Pipeline and then the JBS meat hack. And then we had the Colonial Pipeline CEO in front of the Senate yesterday, which kind of is keeping this all in the headlines. And yep. we're, we're getting calls left and right from people, you know, our own clients who now, you know, we, even though we've been preaching this to no end for many years, they're kind of like, hey, I don't want that to happen to me. <laughs> right. Protected. And it's like, well, you're kind of protected, but we need to have a conversation, right? Because yeah. chances are, if you haven't been reaching out to, or if, so like, I'll give you one thing. In our company, we do quarterly cybersecurity reviews, right? I don't force people to do them, but once a year, you have to do them once a year, but you, if you don't sign up every quarter, I'm not calling your office saying, hey, you missed your quarterly review. You know, it's kind of like, you know, for lack of a better term, I can't care more than my clients, right? So if they yep. don't care, I can't make them sign up and come to these meetings. Um, but when things like JBS and Colonial Pipeline happen and it's they come home from work and it's in their face again um, and they're calling you up going, hey, are we really protected? And I think it's really good for the general business population to hear from guys like James Blount, the CEO of, of uh, Colonial Pipeline, and hear the things that he says, right? Because we're talking about this all the time, but we can be looked at as used car salesmen or, or people mm -hmm. who are trying to sell stuff, right? When you actually have a CEO who's gone through a cyber attack and he's basically saying all the same things that we are educating people on, I think people are going to start to become more in tune with, hey, we got to take this more seriously than than we have been in the past. Um, yeah, and I don't, I don't think um, I, I always say to CEOs that that I don't ever expect them to become cybersecurity experts. No. That's not the point, but they need to understand how they can hold their IT team accountable so that they know. I mean, there's it, 
a two-page report that they should be able to get, probably could squeak it down to a one-page executive report um, just to be able to look at monthly and take it seriously so that you can hold your IT folks accountable and make sure that the right things are being implemented. Yep. So one of the things we discussed uh, before we came live was, uh, and we kind of touched on it a little bit at the beginning, so we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on it, but the the standard security stack that a IT department or an IT company should be offering. What is that in your mind? What does that kind of look like to you? Yeah. So, I mean, it's really about having the, the right tools, the right processes, and then the right auditing around that security stack. So um, I don't know if you want me to talk specific like tool sets that I think that know, would be helpful for people just to hear some, some ideas. Yeah. yeah. So we, we started off with the, the, you know, firewall and antivirus. I mean, those are, you know, that's where it started. Um, but making sure that those are managed, both the firewall and the antivirus to make sure they're staying up to date. Then I think some sort of whether it's next gen AV that includes endpoint detection and response and maybe um, explaining a little more around what that is. But endpoint detection and response is recording everything that's happening at that endpoint. And that's really where the attacks are happening today. It's not, you know, five years ago, it was all about protecting the servers and making sure they weren't compromised. But now it's all about protecting the endpoint. So what that endpoint detection and response does is it records everything that's happening at the endpoint and then runs that against indicators of compromise to make sure that there's no malicious activity happening out there and that you can remediate it in advanced persistent threat before that advanced persistent threat becomes a full-on ransomware attack or full-on um, data breach. So, you know, those are just three components of that security stack. And then we talk about configuration, making sure that the network is properly configured, um, user training. So working with, um, I, there's tons of you end user training to make sure that they're educated and not doing things that, that they shouldn't be. Um, and what else? What am I missing, guys? Oh, just uh, the only other layer I think you really didn't hit on was just that application layer, like controlling what can be installed. Now you can do that simply with just taking away admin rights, but some, some yep. software doesn't need admin rights to install. So having a tool that really monitors what somebody is installing on the system, I think is another valuable protection layer to guard those assets, you know? So you gotta, I look at it as basically like six layers. You have your data layer, you have your network layer, uh, you have your perimeter, which we talked about with firewalls and things like that. You have you have your user, your human layer that you have to be worried about. Um, so, you know, yep. we have all these layers that we have to figure out what are we going to use to protect that layer, right? And that's the tool that you ultimately decide on. And a certain layer may require multiple tools, um, where I think that's where your product, Crypto Stopper, comes in, right? Because I think with a lot of MSPs, one of the first things when they see your product is going to be, well, my my 
endpoint, my advanced endpoint protection already does what your tool does. Can you kind of? Yeah, yeah. So the way that, well, so first of all, it, I, I, I would challenge that it doesn't. And actually 77% of the successful ransomware attacks were against companies that had up-to-date antivirus. So antivirus is not enough. And attacks are really on the rise right now. So yeah, and we created, so I think it was back in 2017, um, we created a, a demonstration of a fileless ransomware attack before those, what, what I call live off the land attacks were even being discussed. Um, and people still really don't understand what a fileless attack is, but I mean, it's essentially leveraging the existing system to pull a script off of off the web somewhere and execute that script that's completely remote so there's nothing new introduced to the machine and that kind of an attack is almost impossible for for antivirus to to detect uh, and so the di big differentiator, that was the question, why do people need CryptoStopper in addition to, to their other tools uh, is because the CryptoStopper is that last line of defense. We're, we deploy bait files throughout the network that then we do file integrity monitoring of those bait files and also of the native files to then detect actively running ransomware and kill it. And that's it, that's the differentiator. We're not watching for a virus to be introduced. We're not watching for something new to be introduced. We're watching for ransomware running and kill it. We call it post-execution um, termination algorithm because it's ransomware is running and we're killing it after the fact. Are, are you able to work with so there's products available right now, like say ActiveFile, which ActiveFile can encrypt your valuable data. So if it's taken off network, it's no good. Or if it's taken off the computer it's on, are you yep. able to work with a, with a product like that where it can maybe be whitelisted? Because it will be encrypting files depending on the policies that you set up. Yep, yep. And we can we can work with any of those so that it doesn't we do have a whitelisting system that we we only like to use very minimally because again, if if uh, one of those applications were turned around and and started being used maliciously and we had whitelisted it, then it's not going to work. But yeah, traditionally um, we'll work with any other disk encryption software. And the thing about the disk encryption that people don't realize i mean it's awesome for if that's off-sited and stolen right. that it that you know can't be so it's good for a data breach situation but there's nothing to stop a secondary encryption of an encrypted file i mean almost right. everything now is encrypted um but what ransomware does is is runs encryption on top of the encryption mm -hmm. exactly <clears throat> and then Anybody who's concerned with the current tool set that they have, what can and can't your tool 
run with or run on? Um, so there's actually not, we haven't run across any, we're very agnostic and feel that we're, we're another layer that should be in the security stack. And so there's not anything that we've come up against that we couldn't run in parallel with. Cool. So Randy, do you have any more questions before I jump into some more deeper technical ones? Um, I, have a, I have a few. So, um, so a lot of times people will ask when we go to put something on their computer like this, they'll, they'll say, Hey, is this going to slow down my computer? So what yep. kind of, uh, you know, is it, is it going to do that? Yeah. The resource utilization is tiny. I mean, and, and because we're, we're watching, we run at a, a windows kernel level. And so we're watching the file activity and watching our bait files. And so the, the resource utilization is very minimal. Okay. And so does it, um, you said it will shut down the process? Yep. So, yeah. So it'll do um, one of two things. Well, and then does some additional things from a, from a remediation standpoint. Um, but the, there's a desktop version and then there's also a Windows server version. And so the desktop version will identify the process that's running the ransomware and kill that process. The um, server and file share version will isolate the offending machine that's running the ransomware and separate it from the network. So it's still running, but it separated separates it from. Yep, and it'll actually also issue a shutdown command to that desktop, and and then notify the network admin um, or the MSP uh, about the issue that's that's going on, and give you all of the information. If you guys have have dealt with ransomware attacks before, you know that typically what happens is when the when the IT guys find out that a ransomware attack is running, you don't know where it's coming from. And so they start pulling network cables, shutting down servers, uh, and then trying to figure out where it came from. So the other thing that our system will do is identify the IP address, the user, um, so you have all the information to go look at patient zero and remediate right. the issue. Do you have the option to isolate and then, but not shut down? Some some industries are going to have com compliance issues where they'll they'll if it if it's a fileless um, ransomware um, they might need to do forensics on that machine. Yeah. Um, do you have, so do you have the ability? And if you turn it off, you lose everything that's in memory. Do you have the ability to isolate and not shut down? So we don't right now. Um, if it's detected at the desktop, it's just going to kill that process that was running. So it doesn't, that won't shut it down. Um, if it's from the network, um, we do automatically shut it down. But that's actually an option that we're planning to implement right. um, as an option to give the give the give our partners the option to turn that off. Mm -hmm. Great. Yep. I think that's all the questions I have so far. Cool. Right. So Couple, couple other things uh, that I think are important for people to know that your solution uh, only protects Windows computers and servers, right? You're not correct. You have something on the roadmap for Macs, M Macs and Linux, and but Linux. not, not currently in production. Got it. Cool. So, 
in terms of how ransomware spreads across somebody's network if they if they get it, can you kind of speak to does uh, ransomware before it rears its ugly head, right? We know that the attackers are already on the network before anybody notices, you know, that big box that pops up or these readme files that pop up all over the place that tell you who you need to contact to get your files back. Uh, so we know that they're in there for a while. So does if they deploy ransomware across a network, does it go from one computer to the next, like it encrypts files to the next computer, encrypts files, so you're cutting off one computer so it doesn't get to the next computer or has the virus already spread at that point? Yeah. So, I mean, there's all kinds of iterations of that. So it, the most common kind of small business attack that we're seeing comes through, um, comes through a phishing campaign and a user clicks either a link or an attachment that, starts the ransomware running and it starts immediately and most of the ones that are designed to go after a business are going to go uh, and look at what's on the network and start running on the network so the user doesn't even know anything's happening yeah. um, but then there are other variants of of ransomware where that patient zero then spreads it to all as many other devices on the network that it can. They'll even have time bombs set on them so that they spread as much as they can and then wait until 6 p.m. Friday night before doing anything malicious so that people aren't necessarily there and on the system to see the, the damage being done until they come in Monday morning. So, I mean, there's all kinds of variations of how ransomware deploys and, and runs. Cool. Um, Randy, are you good? I'm good. I was just going to say that's actually, um, I heard recently that's the most popular time for ransomware to kick in is Friday six. at six o'clock. Yep. So we, got, we have had three calls in our office and it's only the 10th of the month. Uh, all three companies were hit on, uh, on the Friday before Memorial Day weekend. Yep. Yep. Doesn't all, all surprise me at all. Yeah. No, yeah. And, and the time bomb. Um, I mean, it makes sense from their standpoint. And really what people have to think about is that these criminals are, it's organized crime and they're running these like businesses. Oh, very good businesses at that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and the other thing is, is that there's no moral dilemma for them in So most of these attackers are in Eastern European countries and they're stealing money from us to spend in their country. It's almost like a Robin Hood kind of effect that there's they absolutely do not have a moral dilemma around what they're doing in their no, minds. No, I know. And you're a thousand percent right, because I do. I'm one of those dudes that goes on the dark web constantly and <laughs> monitors the dark web. And the posts that these guys put oh. on their sites are like, hey, you didn't do security good enough and we broke into your system. And now you need to pay us for a remediation report. Um, you know, all the yeah. things that you would get from a legitimate ethical cybersecurity company, but they're breaking in and they're causing havoc. And then they're saying they're doing it under the guise that 
we're helping you with security. Which is, uh, yeah. You know, it's just well, like, the lock messages even say that. Yeah. You know, they're trying right. to act like they're doing you a favor. Right. And that's, yeah. you know, and that's the big thing. It's like, you know, as a business owner who's watching this, where, where do you want to deal with this event? Do you want to deal with it on the left side of the boom before you get hit? Or do you want to deal with it on the right side of the boom after you get hit? Either way, right. it's going to cost you money. You're going to have to deal with something over a very long period of time. Uh, whether you're dealing with a massive PR cleanup, I actually saw something really funny, and I'll mention this uh, since we're getting towards the end of our time here. I literally saw a, an advertisement yesterday from an acting coach who used ransomware attacks to promote his business, basically saying, you're going to need my services to learn how to have empathy, to learn how to deal with the press if you get hit with a ransomware attack. So wow. it wow. was like it was like a totally interesting spin on how to market your acting classes, um, because basically, if you get hit with ransomware, you're going to be thrust into a situation that you probably it, never thought in your worst day that you would have to deal with. Yeah, and so far out of most CEOs' element. Yeah, to have to deal with that. Yeah. But the big thing is, it's like with that moral uh, compass situation. You know, when you think about it, these the way that the hackers make a CEO feel after this is like they make you feel like you weren't doing enough to protect the data that your customers entrusted you with. Right. And they yeah. make you feel badly about yourself in this whole process. It, well, and that's part of the whole they're trying to get you get you to pay. Right. Um, and make you feel like it's totally your fault and. Yeah, that you need to just pay this and keep it up, sweep it under the rug, and yeah, and just think yeah. about that with the with the Colonial Pipeline CEO who admitted yesterday that he paid the ransom on day two, right? So yeah. a big company like that who had the support of the FBI, who had the basically the support of anybody who would you know he could ask for anybody's help, and they probably would have helped him in that situation. And, you know, he's sitting there basically saying, like, I had to do everything I needed to do. And, you know, every CEO who gets hit with ransomware is put in that position. Yeah. Right. A, that, a lot of them don't have five million dollars that they can just say goodbye no, to. But like you said, it's not going to be five million dollars for a guy who's doing a million right. dollars a year. Right. And these right. hackers are going to do their research. They're going to figure out how much money you make. And then they're going to come up with a number that they feel like you can pay. That's not going to like completely wipe you out and put you in the poor house. Right. But they're going to come up with a number that you're going to make them some money. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. and so 40,000 is the least. So when I very, so I started seeing ransomware attacks back in 2012 mm -hmm. and the very first ransom that i saw the demand was 60 dollars. yeah my first my first one that when somebody came to me was 750 yeah so and in the last two years i think the lowest that i've seen was forty thousand. right yep so um Same. yeah and i and i know i i do have to run here and just a yeah minute. we got any other questions before we no I've got, I, I've got one so um you mentioned servers and file shares. What about what about distributed slash remote workers? Because yeah, so there's so much of that going on right now. Yep, yep. So as long as they're Windows laptops, 
um, or you know desktops at home, whatever, um, our agent will will run on those. So yeah, it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be in the corporate environment or you know on the inside of the firewall. So, Greg, I first off, I appreciate you coming on our show and sharing your knowledge about ransomware with our audience and educating people about how you guys are helping us as a team, you know, defend this problem that a lot of businesses are faced with right now. So if anybody watching this wants to start using your product, A, how can they get to your product and buy it? And do you offer any kind of a trial or, or guarantee yep. with that? Yeah, so you definitely can reach out to our sales team at sales at getcryptostopper.com, um, our website, getcryptostopper.com. Uh, you can sign up for a, a demo and a trial there. Awesome. And then you also have a free ransomware simulator on your website. Can you yep. talk to us? Who should be running that tool? Who should download it? And, and what's that for? Yeah, so MSP should be running that and testing their defenses against these, especially these fileless attacks. The So that script is a PowerShell script um, that they can run. And we've actually started to build that into our management portal so that you can schedule these. Um, but the, the manual version uh, is out there for people to download and and utilize and just make sure that what you're doing currently would work against a fileless ransomware attack. Cool. All right. I'm going to wrap up the show, Greg, again, I'm, I'm grateful for you coming on and, and sharing your knowledge and experience with us. Our, our audience is surely going to get a lot out of this. Randy, do you have anything uh, for Greg before? No, we that's it. I appreciate you coming on the show. There's Absolutely. a lot of information. All right, guys. Thank, thank you everyone, for having me. Take care. We'll, we'll see you all soon. Take care, everyone.